Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and saddling up alongside me once again, the almond brother to my almond joy, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. You ready to dive into this assault on the Tillman Ranch in America? I'm getting there. Um, but before we do that, um, I wanted to give a shout out to a, um, I don't, I don't want to call him a former stvd colleague but he was a fellow who appeared on this podcast many a time um especially over the course of the first 200 episodes and, he, and he's popped in again once in a while um I, I know he's listening so i'll say him by name jason jason jones good good man fellow geek and whatever um he's also an ardent fargo fan and he had gotten in touch with me because he'd been busy um not just watching fargo but binging our excellent podcast as well and he wanted to make sure that we were had noticed some things that he had pointed out to me and i said okay you know what i I put in my head i'm gonna share it on the podcast because he's um i'll I'll call him stvd royalty he was here for he he merits it not like not like kimber has been here a couple times hey we don't mean nothing um (laughs) Oh no! I think Kimber listens to the podcast. No, Kimber, you're royalty because you did the crown. So you're you're, you're good. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. So um, I guess Jason was talking with me as he was in the midst of watching um, the the previous episode, and his message read something like this. <clears throat> I haven't reached the end of this episode yet, but Linda is dead. Is in the same place Danish ends up under the windmill. It ties back to the previous episode in Dot's dream, where she finds Linda's note for Campytopia under the windmill. Dot knew all along. If you go back and you do a rewatch, you will see that the windmill has been shown many times. Um, he's got a point about that. That windmill seems to. I think there's more shots of that windmill than the exteriors of most of the homes, you know, in, in this uh, series. Um. I like the theory. It is. It, I think it's extremely likely, um, especially um, in this episode when they, um, when Tillman says, "I'm going to go check the dugout." You go check the grave. No, not graves, because they wouldn't probably refer to them that way. But I figure, oh, that's where they dump the bodies which means that's where Linda's body was probably dumped right. once upon a time, which connects to why um, Dot and her, you know, delusionary dream, not delusionary, but, you know, her, her, her dreams, whatever, that's where she goes to find the Camp Utopia postcard, the message from Linda, and how she keeps looking over at it. Um, in the previous episode, it was kind of triggering memories and whatever. So that, I, th- I thought that was a decent catch by Jason. It wasn't something we ever specifically said on the podcast. I don't know if it, I can't claim it, it absolutely had occurred to me, um, but it makes perfect sense. So I wanted to make sure I gave him proper credit. Uh, I, I agree that that that's where we thought Linda was, but I think Jason tied a lot of strings together that that looking back on it, that that windmill has been important. And uh, 
kudos to him, uh, Jason, a member of the uh, STVD Hall of Fame. There you go, Hall of, Hall of Famer. You, you're like uh, the Joe Ma- uh Probably not. No, he. <laughs> I'm sure Joe Mauer get voted in. So we we go from a really interesting observation made by Jason to a really silly one that I'm about to make. So I'm watching this episode, and I'm realizing that through most of these episodes, there's been kind of like a, a certain look that the Roy Tillman character has adopted. He's he's got the cowboy hat, and he's got that that fleece jacket, right? You know, it's with the suede and whatever, the whole look going. And especially in this episode, and we've seen in previous episodes, he's riding a horse. And I kept going, that, there's something very Marlboro Man looking about that. So I did a search on the Marlboro Man. And other than, there's basically two iconic series of images over the years of the Marlboro Man. There's one, and they're wearing, they're wearing a cowboy hat either way. One is in more the, the red plaid kind of flannel style shirt, whatever. And the other one is in the exact same jacket, coat, that Roy Tillman wears. It's exactly the same. I'll even, I'm tempted to put the photo up and, and a picture of him next to each other, make that the podcast photo. I probably won't because Roy doesn't seem to smoke. But I'm just, I noticed it and I saw the picture of him on the horse. I'm like, oh, look, he's, he, he's like a dead ringer for the Marlboro Man. I just thought I would bring that up. That's, that's a pretty good catch. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because that was also, at least advertising-wise, it was also, you know, the, the image of what a real man's supposed to be. And, of course, in, in nowadays, someone of Roy's ilk, even if he's not a smoker himself per se, he probably looks at the people who are anti-smoking ads as being, like, the new woke generation, and he probably would rally against such folks. So it kind of makes sense it would be something that would kind of um, – an image that he would that he would embrace. Yeah, and, and why did the Marlboro Man die? Cancer. And go. what does Roy have in him, the cancer of, of hatred of these women that, that has brought him to his ruin? By the way, does he not use the word, does he not refer to her as a cancer in this episode? Yep. Okay, he well, does. Look at that. Not not only made it full circle, but brought us into the damn episode. That's so right. So let's start talking about this episode, which was the ninth episode of this season, a.k.a the penultimate episode, titled The Useless Hand. Oh, by the way, we won't have to worry about trying to figure out what the useless hand means because uh, Munch Munch pretty much lays that out for us later in the episode if we hadn't figured it out already. Um, episode was directed by, once again, by Thomas Bazooka and written solely this time around by Noah Hawley. It's a, it's a Noah Hawley only episode. Yeah, I uh, I went ahead and looked up Useless Hand and useless hand is a medical term uh, that was proposed by a doctor named Oppenheim. Um, and it refers to when a patient with MS loses basically functional use of their hand, but their hand still has motor activity, um, which is, you know, in essence, Gator still has motor activity, but he's largely uh, ineffective now because he's suffered what he suffered at the hand of munch that we're going to get to all right well you went and he went and got all technical on it after all which is fine work it works either way but one of the most fascinating things about this entire episode is probably um munch's story tone uh, throughout it. it's uh i don't i don't I, I might have written down a quote or two but, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that shortly so 
most of the action in this episode is taking place across the Tillman compound because they're battening down the hatches. They're prepared. They're essentially, they're preparing for war while also, um, at, at a certain point looking for dot because, you know, she does eventually make her escape from her, um, shack of horrors, um, and pretty much finds herself pretty much everywhere else around the compound. Um, and I like the fact that this was an episode that started to bring in and tie in a lot of the um, seemingly peripheral characters that we had seen before, like the two feds. Um, we brought Wit. Wit gets brought back into it as well. Um, I love that they even gave us some new fun characters for some great lines in this episode. I always can appreciate that. But what's interesting is, you know, obviously over the – course of the last, you know, 20, 30 years, there have been a number of incidents that have happened, you know, either be cult leaders or just, you know, militias that have, you know, just kind of gotten out of control and the feds or the ATF kind of moves in and you have these issues that have happened, you know, um, famous, you know, tragic events that have happened, whatever. And it's interesting how this is building up to become one of those, especially um, considering the political and just personality uh, tilt of Roy himself, which doesn't really, I still don't think quite mirrors, um, say, his father-in-law, for example. Um, but I think that Roy is Machia Machiavellian in a way, where he's still going to, like when he summons all his fellow patriots, oh, he's hitting that hard. He, I mean, he's playing a role, but he's hitting that hard. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because he's obviously a very right-wing person. And then the, the people who, because when Lorraine eventually, you know, what is it? What does she, what does she say? You know, tries to call in a favor with the orange idiot. Try, you know, finally get something she's paying for. Yeah. That the, the feds start pouring in. It's like, oh, okay. Because that would seem to be. You, you think probably most of the people on that compound, if they, if they're, you know, supporting someone, it's probably going to be someone like Trump. You know, I mean, look when they're, the fact that when they're mobilizing <laughs> and setting up. And it might be the funniest piece of music used this season that they actually play YMCA. Yeah. Which was kind of like Trump's theme song whenever he went, you know, to rallies all the time. It was pretty funny. So how, how did you, how, how did you view how they were like, they're, they're, they're setting up for war? And the thing that's very interesting to me is there's a certain surprisingly fatalistic view that Roy has that he expresses in this episode. Um, and it gets brought up a few times, whether it be the conversation with his father-in-law or when he's talking with the, um, the head, uh, tactical commander from, from the feds that are there, not the feds, you know what I mean? Um, I just thought, I found that very curious. I, I think we're going to find, uh, when he opened that tunnel later in the episode, I think that when the shit hits the fan, he's going to run. I, I think that um, he's big on bluster. He's big when he has power. Um, and maybe, you know, he, maybe he'll try to run, won't run, whatever. 
But I, I found it curious that his own father-in-law questioned his commitment to the cause at the gate. And, uh, you know, I, I think he believes a lot of his stuff, but, but he goes overboard to appeal um, to the more extreme and, uh, you know, calling out the people. I, I thought, I wondered in the YouTube intro at the end, you know, he says, Ooh, I wonder if, if there's an implication that he's former military or if he was just playing like he's former mil- military. Um, you know, that's usually something that, that, you know, uh, infantry, infantrymen, Marines say to each other. Um, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that he actually has not served in the military only because I feel if he had, there would have been references made to it before we would have seen something in this house, be it medals or some sort of memorabilia or something, whatever. Um, the fact that all these armaments are coming in, but he's really just feeding them to his father-in-law's militia it just feels like that would be something he would be hitting hard, even on the campaign trail or in his earlier, his speeches earlier on that he was, a, you know, that, that he would make himself into a war hero. So I wonder if maybe like the, the person who was the current resident of the, um, of the Oval Office at that time, if he was also someone who probably got, um, a deferment. A de- thank you. I not think of the word was. You know, I don't know if it, maybe he has a, some feet problem also. That's why, he can, that's why he's always on a horsey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the, the, once they show the tunnel, and he even makes a comment talking to himself, kind of like a just in case. Right. Once they did that, it was like, okay, okay, we, we know this is going to come into play. It's absolutely. Yeah, he's a coward. It's absolutely. And either that means we're going to see a confrontation between him and Dot in that tunnel in the, in the final episode. That would not surprise me. Um, but you never know because they did surprise. There is one thing that really surprised me in this episode, and it is the end of the episode, actually. Um, and we'll get there. But Roy's conversation with the um when when he goes to the gate and he's talking to the the commander dude whatever um it's interesting because you were talking about bluster and there's a lot of bluster there he he's he's pontificating and he's saying whatever and he's doing the classic you know this this is my land like i don't recognize your authority he's hitting all he's hitting all the classic talking points right and it's interesting that he does mention, he mentions that there will be others coming who are going to come in from behind them because the whole plan was these other, other patriots would show up and box them in. Right. But you don't reveal that to the people who are right right at the gate, the barbarians at the gate, so to speak. So I was curious that he mentioned that there, I thought. Yeah, well, uh, I'll give him this much credit. Um for a despicable guy, he at least had the balls to kill Danish himself. Um, he didn't pawn that off. Uh, I, I did find it curious that that when the time came to actually decide what to do with Dot, that he ordered someone else to do it. Um, you know, which makes me wonder if he really could go through with that uh, because he s- sort of 
it, it's almost been revealed that she's his weakness. Like the one thing that he's weaker about than anything. And we learn a lot about that in this episode. Um, but, but I mean, you know, he, he's not so cowardly that he won't do violence himself, we, but, but he, he always does violence when he's in the position of power, you know? Right. Um, but we did see him, you know, stand up to the guy and tell him to shoot him. The guy that he frames, uh, you know, in the house earlier in the season. So he is capable of a lot of bad stuff. But I think I think some of his uh, badassness is bluster. And uh, I think it, it, it's a shame Gator won't be able to see him reduced to the liar and, and coward that he is and not the man Gator well, looked up to. Well, right. I mean, that might be what happens. It remains to be seen. I I, I think he... I'm going to put myself in an odd position of defending the character, but uh, I'll do that. Um, Cause you know, I like being different. Um, he's always an, except for, except for maybe during his conversation with Lorraine, which kind of threw him off his bearings or what, or maybe when um, Dodd is initially trying to get under his skin, although unsuccessful, Overall, because she's still, she ends, still ends up being trapped there and beaten and what and whatnot, he's always in a position of power. That's his place. So that's why he's that's why he's able to do, to say the things he says and do the things he does, and why he ha- why he 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 is the one who shoots, you know, Danish, and and he is the one who you know sets up the thing with the guy who he ends up killing there. In a rather badass way, and what and whatever, um, it's interesting. I I can see viewing him telling someone else to take care of Dot as um, pointing out how she's his weakness. I get that interpretation. It's probably it, it may very well be exactly correct. Um, he talks about the fact that um, he doesn't like the way he feels around her because he she she was the last probably he's he's essentially saying this is the last person i actually loved or at least thought i loved or at least his form of love whatever right. and that's and thus that makes her a weakness because he clearly doesn't seem to feel that way about karen even though he, not just being his current wife but also the mother of his two children oh by the way i i uh, we do get the implication during the, that conversation between dot and karen um, that there's pr- pr- there's potentially there had, could have been violence against the two daughters at some point, at least or at least assumed that's probably on the horizon if it hasn't happened. Yeah, yet. there's um, there's at a bare minimum the the extremely likely potential that's going to happen, especially because we we feel it probably had happened to Gator and he was a kid as well. Yeah, um, which we had covered, which was covered in, in, in an earlier episode. Um, so. I could see interpreting it that way, and it's probably maybe it is even the right way to interpret it. I personally think, at this point, well, the thing is, number one, he he's got a whole lot of shit going on right now, <laughs> you know. And yes, even I don't even. And at this point, I don't. Yeah, wait, yeah, this is early in the episode, so he doesn't even know that he's got another situation on right. his hands to deal with. Oh, I love that reveal with the money later on. Um, 
But I, 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 to me, I think it's more showing his callous disregard. It's his re- disregard just for human life, period. Because he doesn't even say kill her. He says bury her. You know, which, and we know what that means. Because we, you know, um, and you kind of, it, it, it's just, he, he treats her, he treats that just like any other errand he would send his right-hand man out to do. And it, it, it feels like it's said without really much, as callous as anything else he's ever said. So there, there there's a certain kind of, it, it's almost more that it's beneath him rather than he's worried. Because, I mean, the way he was trying to beat her with a goddamn chain in that episode, if that connects, especially if it connects hard, that would kill her, you know? Right. So, but again, I am not, this is, if, if I think you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I, I don't not, I don't think you're wrong necessarily because I do think eventually that tunnel is t- for him to escape. But I think it's because he, it's, it's about having your plan be your contingency plan. And he's talking like they're making a final stand here. But that's that tunnel is showing us no, he's not. No, he's right. not. Well, I mean, you know, flashback to last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened when the shit hit the fan at the debate? He ran. Like he wasn't in power. And he was being made a fool of. Uh, you know, obviously he lost control of the situation. Somebody had outmaneuvered him. Oh yeah. Uh, and, oh, absolutely! You know, but and he, and he ran. I think I'm not it, really his, sure. I'm not really sure what else he could have done in that situation, though. The, the longer you stood there, the more you would just look foolish, and you're not going to start start a fight with three strangers, that th- all three guys on the on the stage with you. So, right, but 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 you don't hit the moderator, and you don't act oh, the way. Well, that, well, 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 yeah, but that's but now 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 we're now we're cowardice is one thing. Acting out of anger, impulsive or or irrationally, is a totally different thing, and that's what he does. The problem is what you you are correct. The problem is he loses control. He right. loses control, and, and up to that point, he's been in control of his image, the one that's plastered across billboards across that that little town, and the image that people have, whether it be on in local TV spots or when they. Or when it, everywhere he walks into, and he seems to know everybody by name and knows their relatives and knows who's in prison and whatever, he controls the image and and his different personas that we've talked about. And this is a situation the control was taken away from him, and that's right. where. And again, right, absolutely, but that's that's a common thread for any kind of uh, a lot of the TV shows we've watched over the years, the, the, the really good ones especially, when a character, uh, whether it be a lead pro- protagonist and we're usually more often antagonist, when the more they lose control of a situation, the more th- they they tend to fall apart, act irrationally, do things that we, we find more and more distasteful. The best example of all is obviously Walter White. Right, <laughs> you know, he's a guy who needs to be in control, and when he's not, you know, that's when it's dangerously things... unpredictable. Exactly. Well, I, I just think that we're going to see that other side of him because mm-hmm. you know they, they paint 
they very vividly paint the picture of them standing by the highway with his sign in the background and, you know, his motto, a hard man for hard times. That's his image is that, you know, he's the ultimate stoic badass guy. And I think that some of that's going to crumble in the finale. He's the Marlboro man. Like I said, there you go. (laughs) Um, Oh, I did want to add something real sure. quick. Go, go ahead. Um, you had mentioned that comment to me by Jason, and I was just looking at my notes from the episode. Um, at the at one point where he's telling everybody what happened, the thing at the top of the windmill changes directions, right? And the wind blows, like showing like the wind, the, the changing wind, right? Right. Uh, right yeah. Which I, I thought, you know. Kudos to Jason. Had me watching that uh, windmill like a hawk. Oh yeah, it's interesting when they first open up on the shot of the, the overall compound. They and the sh- and where the and where the shack is. It starts with this extreme close up of the blades of the windmill, and in a way where it's like it, it almost takes you a moment to realize what it is because it doesn't look as it, it's it's a bit more um, more complicated looking until we pull back. Like oh, it's the windmill. Okay, right, wow. right, interesting. There it is. Yeah, I, I really like the scene on the highway with the FBI um, guy, the guy in charge of the raid or the warrant uh-huh. um, with the bluster you were talking about. And I liked I I mean, it's funny to me. Holly said this is not an overtly political season. It's almost like now, like he, he's totally joking. Yeah, um, because, you know, when Roy says it's a witch hunt. And she delivers the line. You do know witch hunts when men killed women, like hunted down women. Uh, and, and then, you know, he responds to that with threats of sexual violence by the people coming behind them. Uh, so I, I I like that line. I like the, the commentary, uh, you know, uh, the situation, the standoff at the gate. I like that scene a lot. And you really saw where all the characters have, have merged together and they brought them together for the final act. And, and I enjoyed that greatly. Right, 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 right. So, and, and also just because it's, they're all lines worthy of quoting. Um, there's all those little, little scenes we have leading up to that little confrontation where it looks like he's, he's making his last stand here. Um, there's a line early on where he's talking to his right hand man, whose name, He's he said his name. I don't have his. I never wrote down the character's name, unfortunately. Um, he, he, he looks like that dude. From, looks like the black dude from Spartacus. Um, when he said, so there's that line when he says, "This is our Masada," and I was like, going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, he's. he's I mean, obviously he's going. He's going a little religious here, but that was the one where you know." nearly a thousand Jewish men, women, and children, you know, they basically choose to take their own lives rather than be enslaved or be killed by the Roman army. So I was like, okay, this is how he's viewing this. But then that line that his father-in-law gets into what you referenced before about, now it's also, it's one of the only times you see someone openly questioning, you know, does he have balls or not is, is what it really comes down to. Then when he goes to the gate, he kind of shows, no, no, I got balls. Right. But it's the, it's what the father-in-law says. And it's interesting because I'm, I was watch I'm just watching very closely and the entire conversation, Roy never responds to anything. The father-in-law says, he just keeps talking about 
you know, how their sandwiches for them, you know, ham or turkey, whatever. But the thing the father-in-law says with the, with the Hitler comparison, I'm just trying to find it here because I want to make sure I get it right. Where are you? Oh yeah. When he asks him if he, wait, are you, are you Hitler at the Reichstag? Are you Hitler in the bunker? You know, are we talking first days here or last day? And I'm like, wow, those, those Hitler references. (laughs) Well, and you know, the place with the, uh, the place with the tunnel. Is called the bunker. Yes. Although, but it's interesting because they also because um, he refers to it as a dugout, and I was like, why is it? Why would he call it a dugout? They realize, oh, you know what? Because they dug out a tunnel. Not just kidding. right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah. T- t- since we met, since it came up again, um, so when he goes looking around the, the dugout there, and there's a moment where he sees this. Thing on the f- on the ground, and as he's moving through the frame, there's a subliminal image done. I mean, semi subliminal. We can see it, but it's not very clear. I know what I thought it was. It looked to me. It looked to me like it was um, an image of of Munch. You know, maybe when he had the blood smeared, the, the gook, all the stuff smeared on his face, whatever. Is that what it was? Because I was trying to pause it. Yes. It wasn't very clear. That's what it looked like to me. Yes, because I believe what he sees when he walks in there is the animal munch butchered to cover himself in the blood that he went in to paint on the wall, to paint the curse or the sigil on the wall in the house. And, you know, and I have to say, a very very twin peaks moment yes it's it's extremely twin peaks in that in that moment you're absolutely right about that uh, excuse me just, someone chose to message me at the wrong time so <laughs> i just wanted to clarify that because in the in in the 10 minutes before we started um we got online together i was like okay i, I just need I need ver- I, I just need validation or verification, and I, I zip through. I, I just skimmed over like three different recaps online, and not one of them mentioned it. And I was gonna, I was getting kind of furious, like, like, wait, no one's gonna mention this. It was right there, and it's kind of a, it's kind of an unusual thing to do. Although they've done something like that this season. Now that I think about it, if we go all the way back to I think the very first episode where we were getting, you know, having images where we didn't we hadn't been introduced to his character yet, but we were kind of seeing him in like dots thoughts, so to speak. Um and also when he's looking up at the ceiling and it's almost like he's he's watching her. Yeah. Um, that doesn't also that's a very Twin Peaks moment right there too. Oh, actually. very, very, very. Yeah. And I thought the the torches lining that hall in the underground bunker yep. reminded me a lot of of the not exactly, but that look and the way it was reminded me of Munch in the church, going into the church in Wales. Right, right, right. Since we've mentioned Munch a few times, why don't we when we get into talking about Munch in this episode? Because um he was a very special player in this episode. <laughs> oh, he 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 was, and I love that we get the fish, the ice fishing house. Ah, so much good stuff in this episode with him. So we actually opened the episode with him. Oh, and by the way, this is an episode where they gave us the true story disclaimer right from the top. On the it starts on a black screen, in fact, even which is again 
different, rare, different, whatever. And then we see we are opening with Munch and Gator in that little um, ice fishing house you, you referenced. And you had mentioned um, early early on uh, several weeks ago in the podcast how there's a lot of very horror-like elements in throughout the season. And I believe they hit one of them once again because we see we, we see what he's preparing to do. Because one, when, when you're heating up a blade, I was like, okay, so he's not just about to stab him. Well, why would you be heating up a blade? Like, you're either going to be trying to scar him, burn something into his skin, or, or once you hear what he's saying, like, oh no, he's going for his eyes. And we, we, we should at this point say, because I guess this will be the last time, um, the Munch Gator stuff has been probably one of the most interesting uh, dynamics throughout this entire season. Because these two have been bouncing off one another. And you probably couldn't get two more different characters in every... And two different, even styles of performance. Um, I can't think of anything even like that, quite frankly. And not something that's been dragged out over the course of an entire season. And it's funny because... Gator has not been a terribly sympathetic character for most of the season. Um, the most sympathy we ever felt for Gator might have been puppet version of Gator, <laughs> you know, more than anything else. But I gotta say, in this scene, once once you start to pick up on what's happening, I start feeling a little bit of sympathy for the guy. Because I'm going, mainly because he didn't mean to kill that old lady. That, right. that was an accident. That was truly an accidental death you know and he's tr and munch is treating like he murdered her um i mean i i guess maybe that it's a form of manslaughter i'm, I'm not sure i mean she kind of tripped and fell backwards and you know I, I don't know um i don't really unfortunately i didn't take the time to 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 transcribe most of what Munch was saying in that scene. I know he starts off saying something along the lines of a rabbit screams because a rabbit is caught. And if, if you could just string together all of Munch's little weird stories and, and metaphors throughout the season, I, I wonder how much fun Hawley had writing all these things. Cause I figured, Oh, it's I, you know, hearing him tell the story of the rabbit, the thought in my head and, and some viewers may not, or some listeners may not remember this, but it sounded like a Jack Handy from Saturday night live wrote like a terrible horror story, <laughs> you know, a rabbit, a rabbit screams when rabbit is caught. And, and, and the, I, I like, like you said, we are privy to what he's preparing to do. Gator's bargaining and negotiating and doesn't know because he has his back turned to him and he's oblivious to everything Gator is saying and doesn't even speak for a period of time that's unnerving. Uh, but but when Munch speaks, it's it lands. And and th I mean, thankfully, they the camera cuts away before any other cutting is done. But as we pull back outside the eye shack, and I, I believe you heard a scream initially. Whatever. I mean, you, I I cringe like i've never cringed before because you know especially your eyes because whenever anything sharp comes near you i'd be like oh god no and you're realizing you know what kid's a little bastard and we've and he's been 
thoroughly unlikable in all the scenes with Wit and the way he eventually treated Dot in that other scene and so on and so on. And then I was like going, oh, I don't know if he deserved to lose his eyes, man. <laughs> but what's also interesting is that I didn't, we don't, I didn't realize until when uh, Roy is going through the house looking for Dot and he goes in um, Gator's room and he finds the bag of money and he puts together what must have happened. Cause I think he said something like, what did you do? Yeah. Whatever. And I, so I, I had, I personally had not put that together. I didn't know he had, he had had the money. He had, he had taken the money. I mean, was that, was that shown in a previous episode or I don't recall? It, I, I don't think they showed it explicitly, but they, they implied it implied heavily it. when, when he broke the window to the car. Uh, oh, it was the bag. It, it was the bag left. He, okay. Why did, all right. See, that's annoys me. That money. Why, if you got a big duffel of money, why would you just leave it in the back seat of your car? Well, Munch is a different sort of person, so I guess maybe it, <laughs> maybe it tracks. <laughs> you know, Munch isn't used to twenty first century problems. <laughs> but it does. It does raise an interesting question, and and something we've talked about before. Um, this show does paint with a broader brush than a lot of shows and that, that we know enough about Roy Tillman now that our empathy leaks over to Gator even more that the more you learn about Roy, how terrible Gator is, you have more empathy for him. Right. Um, and you may not agree with or like what he's done, but you know, the, the difference between an abused boy who becomes a prick and this guy who seems like a supernatural monster um, you know, you're not necessarily rooting for a good guy rooting for much. Right. I mean, this is a guy who agreed to go kill Dot. This is true. He, he, murder for hire. Right. Or, or actually, excuse me, he was um, kidnapped. Was, kidnapped for was, hire. Must be kidnapping for hire. How can I? How can I have said it other way? I mean, every, every the plot of every other Fargo is, involves kidnapping. Quite frankly. So, um, so then obviously later in the episode when, when Munch has brought, um, Gator back to his dad and we had, that's where we have that scene between them and he, and Munch once again gives us a, gives a story and you realize, and then that, then it's within this story, what, how he's referring to Gator, um, that's where the useless hand kind of comes yep. into play whatever. Um, and, but some, somehow, because, because there's this weird, talk about supernatural, the fog that rolls in suddenly, that seems to, people just seem to disappear within the fog, not just him, but we see it happen over and over again. It's very, it's a, it's a very supernatural kind of thing that's going on here. And the fact that he was able just to, basically throw Gator towards Roy to knock him down. And then when Roy finally struggles to get up, you know, gun in hand, he's already disappeared into the fog. Right. Uh, it's, it, know. I mean, it, it's much is a compelling character and has been used probably less than we thought he would be. They've given us dibs and dabs of, of much. Right. Um, he was a lot more early in the season, but, um, 
you know, and, and at the end of this scene, uh, our, our empathy for Gator, uh, I mean, he's, you know, I'm scared. I think he even says daddy or, you know, like, uh, he, he's just calling out for his dad and Roy just completely washes his hands of him in, in a despicable way. If the, if there ever was a point to you, it's gone now. Yeah. That's what he says about his son in that position. And the fact that Gator, it, it, it appears that Gator has had, a, has had his eyes taken. Um, I don't know if we're going to be getting that Gator wit payoff that we were hoping for at this point, because I don't know if there's really much, I mean, unless Holly pulls off something that I can't really conceive of. But I'm, I'm thinking Gator without eyes is probably, I hate, I hate to agree with his dad. I don't, I don't <laughs> But at least as far as how we're going to move him being a viable character to play in the next episode. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So did you want to swing over to Dot finally now? Yeah, let's let's tie that up. Go through all the Dot stuff, which will then touch on other characters that we haven't gotten to as well. So obviously Dot does eventually escape from the shack um she's hiding you know within you know un- under the floorboards when his right hand man comes looking for her and whatever but she eventually she escapes onto the compound and she she finds ways to you know disguise herself she goes to the she and she goes to the house because she's looking she's trying to find a, a phone to use to call out and she finally now she goes into the bedroom and i thought of you uh, when she walked in, I was wondering if she was going to look or to be any reaction to that, the chest in front of the bed, which would feed into your theory that that box of toys might have come into play when, when Dot was there. Um, the fact that she didn't seem to react to it at all kind of made, made, made that thought go away. But she has that showdown with Karen. So that that's the first thing that's kind of interesting to me. Um and how she tries to get on Karen, she tr- she tries to work her way into Karen's mind because she notices the bruise on Karen's cheek, and she figures, oh, this is her this is her way to try to get into her ear, and it's interesting because it looked for for a second there it looks like it might work, and and then you know no it's not going to work. Yeah, well, uh, you know Karen saying uh, again. To, to flesh out Roy Tillman, what a complete maniac he is, that he didn't change anything after she left, that that he, he wouldn't even change the sheets. And I think she says, we laid in your filth. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a very interesting choice that she tries to escape out through the window. She tries to get something. She's trying to reach up to get something when the bed collapses and the the floorboards break the way she gets out i mean the all the all of the the directions in this for dot are to get down in the dirt she has to get down in the dirt to to escape the house she has to get down in the grave you know to hide um you know i think her breakthrough means like she's got to go through the dirt of this relationship that she's avoided and overcome it and 
uh, and and she does. And and Karen, it it's really sad that that standing there looking at Dot, she hates her because she can't compare to her in Roy's eyes, and she tells her that. Right, and that's again that that's somewhat confirmed by that by what we referenced earlier. What Roy says to to his dude there about the way he feels about her. He says it in a way which it, it, he tries to remove any connotation that he's talking about love. It's almost like it's almost like an alien thing to him. Like, you know, I don't like the way she makes. Me, I don't even know. If, does he actually use the word? Fee- I should. I should have. I should have written it down. He said. I think he says. I don't like how I feel around her. Yeah. Okay. That's how. It, that's the phrasing. That's from like she's the, the word sickness that, that right. that that he can't get around her because she makes him sick. Right. right. Like she's radiation. Right, right. That make that makes sense. So, um, but she she gets the best of she does get the best of Karen, which is how she ends up with with the rifle. Um, the ha- there's that hatch in a closet. That she, was that the closet in that room. Yeah, that's so weird that there would be a <laughs> there would be a hatch. Well, in well I, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think those hatches? Do you think? Dot built those to escape, and Roy didn't know before she escaped. Or do you think Roy always had them in there? My, you know like, what I you know what I think there. You know what I think it is. I think that was her room when she was first there, and Linda and Roy were had a different bedroom, and that was his way of going to get into, into her, her, room. her room and he would literally come up through the closet almost which is almost like what a monster would do the monster in the closet whatever and i think that's what i think that's what it was that that i mean that's 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 how i viewed it i don't i don't know it could it could no, I, I think i think that's an excellent reading that you have all these secret passages almost like an h.h H. holmes house of horrors right 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 because you know Everything from the tu- everything from the tunnel to this, it's like th- there's a whole lot of things going on, and and you know things under floorboards and and whatnot. Um, but and it's kind of like the theme that you were talking about about her getting down in the dirt. It's also showing how there's a lot of things. Everything is under a certain you know under the surface here. Everything is hidden. Everything is you know on, on a different on a lower level. You know, hidden from sight. You know, kind of a thing. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. So anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I had a point. I forgot it. Was. No, I mean I think it's interesting if you believe that 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 he would have come up that ladder to get to her and her way outs to go down it. Right, 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 right. I, I, I thought it was fascinating that she tries to do the, the trick where she, she, she puts all the, all the gas on, on the oven. Yeah. And which, which you think, Oh, that's a, that's a great, that's a great idea. But again, not rooting for, I want to make this clear, not rooting for Roy, not rooting for Roy. But I thought it was really, I thought, I, I, but I had to go, Roy, nice catch there. Cause he, he kind of smells it and then he stops the guy from lighting a cigarette and he, he realizes what's happened and he turn he turn he immediately turns off all the gas. So I liked the, because, which means what she did, you know, ended up not doing anything. It meant nothing. But I liked the fact that it just it had this back and forth, like, you no, know, cause you tried to do something and he was able to, to, to revert it, whatever. And, 
just showing that he knows who, who and what he's dealing with. And, and we know that she's done little oven tricks before <laughs> you know, that, that did work. Well, and, and it, it makes you think like she may have done that to him before, before she left. And that maybe that's why he's specifically attuned to the smell of gas. Although, they, those, although therefore she should know it wouldn't work. If that's the case, actually. Well, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know she's thinking it would get him. But if it blows up a bunch of his guys and causes a big distraction, it's still. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doubting that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, she knows the tricks, and you have to wonder that gas. All the things she learned, she learned those before she left there. Right, right, true, true. So she does get out, and now she has a phone, and she places that call. She had already spoken with Wayne and Scotty briefly. Uh, Wayne, who seems to be uh, well on his way from recovering from his uh, brain damage, so that was nice to see. Um, but what's more important is the second call she places. So, and this now opens up a few other character things for her, and gives me the moment that actually got me a little. Um, a little verklempt. A little verklempt. Two things. Number one, we established in this episode, oh, Indira's working for Lorraine. She she took the job. She's got the earpiece. She's, you know, she's in the suit. Um, I, I, she's probably making make make a buck now. Um, and it's funny because it keeps coming up in conversation when she talks to Wit later. And like, I think she uses a phrase like, you know, I'm on, the, what's the phrase? I, I wrote it down. And I can't find it. She says something along the lines of "I'm on the, I'm on, an, I'm on the other side." Yeah, now. yeah, that's what she says. The other side, I think, as I recall, that's how I recalled it. I'm on the oh, other. Here side. Here it is. Now. I'm on a different side now. That's the phrase. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm on a different side now," which isn't the other side. It's a different side. I was like, okay, that that's that's so an interesting way to put it, especially since you're in the room with person who might overhear you so you have to phrase right be careful right. with what you're saying but um and there lorraine takes the phone and lorraine and dot have a conversation um to me this for me was um at least conversation dialogue wise was the key moment in the episode for me um lorraine is showing concern and she's trying to help Dot in her situation and, and whatever. And Dot questions it. And she, Survival, man. Survival instinct and question. She, and because she knows Lorraine and yep. all their previous dealings, as we saw earlier this season, and we can imagine even before that, have not been exactly friendly, to say, nothing, to say anything of being motherly. Um, but this time... It's different. And it's interesting because Dot's trying to push her to find out why is she different? Why is she changed? And and there's, there's part of me that thinks she suspects that Lorraine knows the truth about her. Like, the truth. But it's never said. And this is the, the part that gets me is when she said, when Lorraine says, no daughter of mine. The fact that she says daughter yep. is huge. Even if she's a daughter-in-law, but no, daughter of mine is so key. No daughter of mine is going down on the one-yard line. Now put your big girl pants on and get in the fight, you hear me? And I was like, oh my God, this is the most probably caring or affection that's ever been shown by Lorraine to, to this woman. And 
even though reading that line right now, I didn't get all of her clumped. But the way it's done, and again, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, you know, I don't know. She's obviously she's gotten older. Um, I suspect her, that she might have had. There, it looks like there might have been some work done on that face of hers, which is a little uh, a little odd or off putting to a certain degree. But she really fucking lands this really amazingly in this scene, and as is um, the reaction we get with Juno Temple on, on, on Dot's side. That's why I think maybe that's why it's probably my favorite thing because it's also it's the most pure and positive emotion scene just about in the entire episode. Um, I I was just that 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 was the moment that I just like okay that 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 was worth the price of admission for me this week. There, there were two moments of good feeling in this episode. Um, that was one where you felt like that's the first time Dot had felt love um, from her, from anyone other than her husband and Scotty. Um, she felt accepted for who she was, and that. And I think the other moment was when Wit says why he's going to get her, and he says because she saved my life. Like you see that that this woman has inspired, you know, there are two people out there working to save her that care about her, uh, and th- that her world has grown uh, exponentially in size of people who think she's a good person. And uh, Indira's working to get her, but having the acceptance of her mother-in-law, um, it, I mean, that's obviously the biggest because if she's going to have any life with Wayne and Scotty, you know, um, it, it, that 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 relationship's key. And when she said that, I mean, it was both emotional and kick ass at the same time that, you know, the the put your big girl pants on. You're not going down at the one yard line. I, I mean, is uh, that's the scene of the episode. No right. doubt. I also love that it's immediately followed up by Indira getting on the phone. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't get in the fight. <laughs> you need to hide. <laughs> right. These are going to be, you know, she doesn't say this, but she's essentially like, these are going to be many men with automatic weapons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you need to not be in that fight. Hide. Hide, hide, yeah. hide. By the way, speaking of her hiding, um, one of the, I've, I thought one of the most interesting moments, and it connects to her, so that's why I'm bringing it up now, uh, with Roy in the episode, there's a scene, um, it's before he goes to the dugout and um, sends his guy off to 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 the grave's grave, um, <laughs> where you see Roy works out what's happened. They kind of figures out what's been going on and how it was, and he, he's he and he's he's pretty much right on everything he's going with. You know, he figures out who, you know that Lorraine is behind this, and you know the, he calls her the, the queen, the queen of debt you know, called into favor, blah, blah, blah. And he, but what makes it even more interesting, he even theorizes where Dot might be. And he, and he, he, he literally says that she, that she will be hiding somewhere that we wouldn't think she would be. Right. And the, t- of the t- he, he basically picks two places and you know what? She's in one of them. So <laughs> he's, it's like, all right. It just shows that he's, uh, again, he's a formidable foe which we already knew anyway um but i just thought that was really interesting it's like oh he's actually 
I mean, there's also, look, there's also a little storytelling shorthand here. It's like, oh, we're just going to get to the point. We're, we're going to get there. This is how it's, how, how it's going to work. Right. But, but it shows him look across the farm and, and he's doing the analysis of her and what he knows of her and, and susses out where she would have went. Right, right, right. And so where she does go is that, um, is where she saw Danish, uh, buried, which is next to the windmill. And as, um, theorize it might be a common grave spot, maybe. And L- Linda herself might have been there once upon a time, uh, years ago. Um, as Jason theorized, and I think I think he's actually right on that one. Um, see, oh, Jason, we get confirmation he's right. Yeah, Jason, look at all the look at all the references we've made to you this episode. Now, now I don't have to now I have to invite you this year. No, I'm just kidding, Jason. Anyway, oh, by the way, I thought what she was gonna do. Okay, she even, and we, we don't need to recap the whole thing. She, she, take, she, she gets in there and pulls the cover up. And, but she hears them approaching. I initially thought she was going to try to like do something where she would hide under the body of Danish. I thought that, because, you know, it's not that Dave Foley's body is all that, is, is gigantic, but she's a little thing. And she probably could have done that. It, you know, Again, it might not have been the greatest idea. I'm not saying, but I, I thought that's where they were going with it. Yeah, I, I I thought that initially too. But it is really interesting. She has Linda's like femur in her hand. Well, it's interesting. She's holding the femur, the bone, and it's also think think back to what Roy said when he's you know during the standoff with the feds. And it's a, I mean, I mean, he's getting all biblical here, but it's a, it's a nicely composed line about, you know, about how God kind of lays out your, your future, what you, what you are, you know, and it's, it's cut into your, it's cut into bone. And it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're making these bone references in here. That's interesting that we're kind of tying that together. Yeah. Now, her plan, now, okay, I don't know why she left the gun <laughs> up there. And then she's down in the in this little mini silo kind of a situation, you know, brandishing a bone. It's like, you know, they have guns, right? <laughs> I'm not sure what good a bone is going to do you down there when they're just going to shoot you because every guy on that compound is walking around with a gun. So again, maybe she wasn't thinking. But here's the ep- here's the part in the episode that was the one thing that actually surprised me. I'm not going to say the scene with Lorraine surprised me. I was, you know, I, 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 I thought something like that was going to happen ever since she saw the file. We see his his men show up, and that and his his main guy is there, and it looks like he's about to, you know, shoot her, and all of a sudden, shit goes down, and we hear them, we hear screams, we hear gunshots, whatever, and the implication was because we saw Wit and the troops kind of mobilizing and 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 going coming in to, to save her to find her and save her and it turns out to be much the that, predator man that was the surprise i thought it was excellent you know and you refer, you refer to the tiger and nick cage yeah and because all she knows of munch is just her original um, interactions with him which were not the most pleasant <laughs> if we right. recall so as far as she knows, initially, he would still be on Roy's payroll. He would still be whatever, except she realizes she's heard what just happened. So when he puts down the hand, 
you know, I, I love her kind of measuring the situation and then she takes the hand, right. whatever. And the moment with the gun and she thinks, and he, he, when he gives it to her, uh, I was like, okay, this is right after the Lorraine moment. It's rare that the final moment is, is one of my favorite moments of an episode, but him giving her the gun is one of my favorite moments of the episode. Now the tiger is free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, and it, I hope we see him in the final episode, but if not, he fulfilled a big purpose in the show. It, it's a it's a really interesting... I love that we can have an entire story arc about a character that we still really know nothing about. I love the fact that someone starts out as, as the antagonist kidnapper and at the end is the rescuer of the same person. That's a very right. interesting reversal there. Oh, another reversal on the show. What, what are the odds? Um, and I love the fact that we're playing Whipping Post at the end, which is why I made the Allman Brothers right. Oh, my Lord. Like... Uh... Quentin came in from uh, a basketball game late last night and I was watching the end of this and, uh, and that came on and I was like, this is awesome. And he goes, dad, what is this show? This show is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you have to watch the whole thing. And, and I told him what it was. And, uh, but he recognized whipping post because, uh, you know, I mean, that's that, Almond Brothers live at the Fillmore, man. Like as far as live albums, you can't hardly beat that. And uh, th what what an interesting choice uh, for you know it it encapsulates so much of her, Roy, um, everything, and uh, but also has tempo and drive that that I think really gets you psyched up for the final episode. Oh yeah, because it. As one notes, her with the gun, and you don't even have to have seen the ad for the for the final episode, which followed, uh, you know, a, a couple minutes later. If you're watching, you know, with commercials and whatnot, um, she's not leaving. She's not. She she thinks she wants to finish, re regardless of how Indira might have uh, warned or whatever. I think she wants to go take care of business. I think once I think it's a once and for all kind of a situation for her. Um, by the way, the. The final episode's title is Bisquick, so I just want to make sure everybody knows that. So we're hooking back to the pancakes again, you know. You know, take care of your business quick, Bisquick. No, Bisquick. Anyway. A, a lot of a lot of, of pub for Bisquick this season of Fargo. Oh my god! And that was the that was one of the two main pancake mixes uh, that we used in my house when I was growing up. We would alternate between Bisquick and. Um, Oh, was it Aunt Jemima? Might have been Aunt Jemima. I think they made a pancake mix, but we were usually Bisquick. I think she made biscuits or Bisquick too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm I'm old. I can't remember. Um anyway, um a a really strong penultimate episode. Uh, uh you know, as as any good series, penultimate episodes are always supposed to be good ones. Um a lot, lot, lot happened. It was can't say it was a slow episode. It really it it sped along like super fast. Like, wait, it's over already? Oh my god! It, hey, Mister Holly, did aren't you guys do like hour and a half episodes? I wouldn't mind if he was out for this show for this season. You know, well, could you go back in time and like remove some of the time from like season four and add it to this one? 
Because you got an extra episode in season four. Like, can I have an extra episode in this season? Can I? <laughs> but I guess we're not going to get that. But I'm looking forward to the finale, most definitely. Yeah, and, uh, y- you know, we have extolled the virtues of this show in uh, episode nine and ten with it coming to an end. I mean, I was very, very satisfied with episode nine and can't wait for episode 10 to to see where I feel about this season. Uh, But gosh, golly darn, if this isn't a good episode, you betcha. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, I, There are things I'm curious about, Um, you know, will we see Gator again? Will we see Munch again? Um, You know, what's the fate of Wit? How does Roy get his comeuppance? I have thoughts about all those. I think it's going to happen. The the tunnel would be really, I I think we got to see the the showdown at the tunnel or the bunker um, to end it. But really looking forward to next week and can't believe it's almost over. Yeah. Will Adira stay under Lorraine's employ, or is it just a temporary thing? Curious. What, what, will Will her husband make the PGA tour? Oh, will we see her husband again? I'm going to say no. No, no. Anyway, if you enjoyed this podcast, guess what? You'll most likely you'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. Come look us up. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. That's if you're still on Facebook. Some people aren't. We're available on pretty much most podcast platforms. But if you look us up on podbean.com, you can access all ooh, 401 of our episodes. If you happen to use things like Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate and review us there or anywhere. You can find us on Instagram as Serious TV Drama, as one word. Um, God, I'm way overdue. I have probably like seven or eight things I got to post there. I just haven't had time. Um, oh, I've had time. I just haven't had any energy. And you can also find us on X Twitter, as I call it. And our handle there is at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in serious TV drama. By the way, you can also find my other little podcast, Scott Forgot the 80s. You can find that everywhere. Scott Forgot the 80s. S-E-O-T, Forgot the 80s. Blah, blah, blah. 80s movies. Scott never saw them. Scott might, may or may not like them. It's worth checking out. So, again, me and Brian will be back next week to cover the final episode of Season 5 of Fargo. I have no idea if we're going to be doing anything else on the podcast anytime soon. We It remains to be seen. I know I floated an idea towards the end of podcast number 400. I want to officially walk back that idea because I don't know if I want to put in that much work. <laughs> if we're, All I'll say is this, and then we can say our goodnights. Even if there's not a specific show that's coming up shortly that we would want to cover episode by episode. We still at the very least might get together here and there just to talk about like a few shows that we've been watching. So for example, maybe we don't want to do unless one of us changes or unless I change my mind about it. While we maybe we're, we're not going to cover, you know, episode by episode of, the upcoming season of True Detective or Monsieur Spade, simply because I'm going to keep mispronouncing that word, um, doesn't mean I don't. I might not want to have a podcast where we talk about it at some point. That that very well could happen. And there's other things coming up in February, or whatever. But I don't know if there's anything that we're definitely like. Oh, we got to do that on an episode by episode basis. 
So, but we'll see. No, and I think we'll probably want to have a conversation about For All Mankind when it wraps up next week. That's right. Forgot about that. That's a good one. You know, and I'm going to want to talk about Monarch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got 30 seconds of Godzilla. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> then we can talk about why I, I never got around to seeing Godzilla minus one. Damn it. Anyway, Brian, once again, thank you so much for uh, showing up and pretty much being the, carrying the podcast this week, it felt to me. So well done. Um, we're we're somewhat recovered from our marathon recording just a few nights ago. Well, Scott, you know, I may have went 99 yards down to the one yard line, but put your big boy panties on and take it in the end zone and and end this podcast. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. So now I'm going to have the phrase big boy panties in my head for the next week. Thank You're you welcome. So, thank you so much for that, Brian. Good night to you and good night to everybody out there. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.